Hope your day is starting off with uh, great anticipations to a study of the book of Isaiah. When I was asked to uh, teach a class on Isaiah, I got thinking about it and how could we cover the whole book of Isaiah in a study of uh, just one quarter's length? After all, there's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, and it would be impossible to cover the entire book verse by verse, chapter by chapter. So I thought maybe, maybe we can just call this a study, studies in Isaiah, and that is a selection of various topics that relate to Isaiah and look at them and see uh, what Isaiah has to say about these various topics. So <clears throat> hopefully in this study of Isaiah, we'll, begin, we'll uh, uh, become more acquainted with the contents of the book of Isaiah and uh, appreciate the way that Isaiah was able to develop these thoughts and these ideas as they were revealed to him by God and the way that he was able to uh, compose his book and to uh, write the uh, message that God gave to him in such a way that made such an impact upon his people and continues to make an impact upon people to this day. Let's go ahead and begin our, our class with a word of prayer. Our Father, we are so grateful that we can come here this morning and give our attention to a study of a portion of your word. And we're especially thankful that you have revealed uh, your word to us uh, through the Bible. We're thankful for the Bible and all those who have contributed to the preserving of your word in the Bible through all these years so that we today can read your words as they are revealed to us in, in the Bible. We're thankful for your influence in the lives of people in times past and uh, we're thankful that we can uh, see how you work in the lives of men and uh, bring about the, your purposes in the lives of, of, uh, of your, your, your people and in the events of this world at various times. And we pray that you'll help us to appreciate more and more the uh, fact that you are in control of uh, this world and the events of this world and that all things are in your hands, and that everything will work out for good to those who love you and are seeking to do your will. Now be with us as we give our attention to a study of, of uh, your word as it has been revealed to us uh, through uh, your prophet Isaiah. We're thankful that, uh, that he was able to uh, receive your message and to preserve your message for us that we can learn about how you worked in the lives of these people in the past, and that uh, these uh, words will encourage us today to live faithful as uh, your servant has, uh, has uh, encouraged the people of his day to live faithful to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I thought we'd start off by uh, noticing some statements that... Uh, been made by uh, various ones in praise of Isaiah. For example, there's a study of Isaiah called uh, Isaiah Speaks. I would add one little word to the title of this book, Isaiah Still Speaks, because uh, what Isaiah has to say 
in, in, his, in his book uh, does apply to us today. And the things that he has to say are relevant uh, for, for us today as well as for the people of his own day. And I'm sure that's what the author had in mind when he entitled this book, Isaiah Speaks, because he does bring out how many of the things that Isaiah has to say is relevant to our world today. In fact, the, uh, the little description of the book right here on, the, on uh, the cover of the book says, The message of the book of Isaiah is here clearly set forth with equal emphasis on what it sought to say to its original audience and its relevance to us today. So even though he calls it simply Isaiah Speaks, if I would uh, title the, uh, the study, I would say Isaiah Still Speaks, because he speaks today as well as in, in his own day. Uh, here's, here's what he says at the very beginning of, of his uh, work. By the way, the author of this book was a professor at Boston University, and he wrote this, uh, this study on the, on the on book of Isaiah. And this is how he begins his, his book. He, he begins by talking about the importance of the book of Isaiah. And he points out the, uh, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, how, how uh, praiseworthy the book of Isaiah is. He says, with the possible exception of the Psalms, and of course we know about the Psalms and how many of the Psalms we, <clears throat> we uh, refer to today, with the possible exception of the Psalms, no other Old Testament writing has so great a claim on the attention of Christians as the book of Isaiah. In the Christian movement, as in Judaism, its influence has been profound. It's vivid poetry, and in the course of our study, we're going to point out some of the poetic techniques that Isaiah uses in presenting his message. It's vivid poetic imagery... Its depth of spiritual insight, its disclosures of religious truth, and its keen ethical sensitivity make it a rich resource for all who would learn of God or practice his presence. So that's one evaluation and his, the way he points out the, uh, the importance of Isaiah and in praise of Isaiah. Um, are you able to make make those out there a little bit think that uh, do, have any of you heard of James Burton Kaufman? Do you know who James Burton Kaufman is or was? I think he's he's passed on now. There a couple a couple of you know who James Burton Kaufman is. He was the minister of the um, Manhattan Church of Christ in New York City. I remember back years ago when he was trying to raise money to build a church building in New York City. And back then, uh, we, we wanted to, uh, why have a, a church building in the heart of New York City? He's going around the country trying to raise a million dollars to build a church in the middle of Manhattan, New York. And uh, some of us thought that that, that, that was a great, uh, not a wise use of money to spend a million dollars on a church building. At that time, we thought that was outrageous. Today, there are a number of uh, churches of Christ who have built buildings that uh, are in that that neighborhood. And, of course, uh, we're all acquainted with the Million Dollar Sunday in connection with the the Eastern uh, European uh, mission. 
But uh, at that time, to spend a million dollars on a church building, some of us thought is kind of outrageous. Well, he was able to raise the money, and uh, 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 there was the uh, church established there in, in Manhattan, middle of Manhattan. Lester Holt, who is the uh, news anchor on NBC News, is a member of that congregation. Uh, a few years ago, Lester Holt spoke at the Pepperdine University graduation, and he was awarded an honorary doctorate degree by the university. Uh, there were a, were a group of students from Harding University who went to New York City and visited with Lester Holt for a little while. Oh, well, this Lester Holt is the member of, of the Manhattan Church of Christ there, where Burton Kaufman was the minister. Well, when Burton Kaufman retired from preaching, he settled in, in Houston, Texas, and there he spent uh, several years writing a complete commentary on the, uh, on the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And in his commentary on Isaiah, this is what he said in praise of Isaiah. The vocabulary of her mother tongue has been strained to give expression to the genius and ability of this great Hebrew prophet and his writings. His prophecy has been called the quintessence of prophetical genius. There does not exist today anywhere on earth any other writing that even approaches the marvel and glory of these wonderful prophecies that make up Isaiah's book. Well, in the course of our study of Isaiah, we hope we can bring out some of these <clears throat> these wonderful prophecies that make up uh, Isaiah's book, <clears throat> the marvel and the glory, as he says, as he calls them, of the, of the wonderful uh, of this wonderful book. Um, I don't even think I'm going to try to try to read it, but this is another quotation from another study of Isaiah in which he talks about the grandeur of Isaiah and. Uh, and the far-sighted thought and depth of feeling were unsurpassed by any other prophet, and so on. Isaiah is justly considered the greatest of all the writing prophets. So heart-searching and pregnant with hope for all mankind has been the prophecy Isaiah, the seer of the small mountain kingdom of Judah in the 8th century B.C. Throughout the ages, he goes on to say, Isaiah, probably more than any other prophet, has fascinated the minds of the humble and the learned and has stirred the hearts of teachers and preachers, of poets and artists, and of those who saw great visions for the human race. The message of Isaiah spans all generations and bridges the chasm between time and eternity. Uh, Have any of you heard of Unger's Bible Handbook? It's a handbook that's been used uh, quite extensively in in, uh, this... uh, book by Merle Unger uh, on Isaiah, about Isaiah, he says, Isaiah is the great messianic prophet and prince of Old Testament seers for splendor of diction, brilliance of imagery, versatility and beauty of style, profundity and breadth of prophetic vision. He is without peer, without peer. Okay, so those, uh, we could go on and on and on from uh, to call attention to statements that have been made by people who studied Isaiah and come away with a great appreciation uh, and uh, you know, 
I've uh, written out words of praise uh, uh, for the uh, book of Isaiah. But let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, the man Isaiah himself. There's not a whole lot that we know about uh, Isaiah as, as an individual. Uh, the only thing we can learn about Isaiah is what he says in his book itself. Um, we don't know when he was born or where he was born. Or It does mention at the very beginning that he was the son of Amos. Amos, Amos, A-M-O-Z. We'll see that verse in just in just a moment. Now, don't confuse this with the prophet Amos. This is spelled with a Z. The other Amos is spelled with an S. A-M-O-S is the prophet Amos. A-M-O-Z is the father of the prophet Isaiah. Um, so... <clears throat> If you turn to chapter 1, verse 1, you'll have the brief introduction to who Isaiah is, when he lived, and what uh, his, his subject is about. Uh, he says at the, at the beginning of his, of his book that... Uh, <clears throat> okay, where are we going here if it's going to go? I'm going backwards for some reason. Okay, this is if I go this way... See how it goes. Okay. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. You can see it there, or you can look at your own, own uh, copy of Isaiah, whichever form it might be, in printed form or in the electronic form. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, the son of Amos, as I just mentioned, this is not the, not the Amos of the prophet Amos, but uh, who this Amos was, we, uh, we don't know anything about him. Uh, but uh, apparently he was uh, important enough to be mentioned uh, as uh, the father of Isaiah that uh, Isaiah saw during the reigns of Isaiah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So this gives us a little information about, uh, about Isaiah, the man, and, and his times. That he lived during the reigns uh, of these four kings who were kings of Judah. This would uh, indicate then that he's concerned with the southern kingdom of Israel, of Judah, the term Israel is uh, normally used to refer to the northern kingdom of, of, uh, of Israel. Uh, sometimes the term Israel is used for both, both kingdoms, uh, the, whole ki- the whole kingdom, both the, the, both the northern and the southern kingdom. But uh, usually the term Israel is referring to the northern kingdom and uh, the term Judah is referring to the southern kingdom. So... This would place uh, Isaiah in the, uh, around the middle of the 7th century B.C. Um, and uh, uh, during the reign of these kings of Judah that are mentioned here, and we, if we have time, we may uh, say a little bit more about these kings and what they were like to give you an idea of what the society was like during the reign of these kingdoms. But this is sometime during the last half of the eighteenth of the eighth eighth century B.C. That's sometimes around seven fifty to seven hundred B.C. We don't know exactly when he died. Some suggest that his uh, 
career extended on into uh, the next century for a few years. Um, <clears throat> we uh, do know a little bit about the meanness which your direction is going to go now. Uh, yep, it's going going the wrong, different way. Okay, try it this way. The man and his times. Okay, during the latter thing we mentioned that. Uh, <clears throat> oh, oh, I might I, I point out that this is the time of a few other prophets who are also prophesying at the same time as Isaiah, and that is Hosea. Uh, Hosea was mainly concerned with the nation uh, of the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. Uh, if you look at the very first cha- for very first verse of these uh, of these prophets, you can see that the same kings that are mentioned uh, that are mentioned by Isaiah here at the beginning of, of his uh, his book. Uh, Hosea was mainly concerned with the northern kingdom of Israel. Amos was also on the scene at this time, uh, and he was concerned mainly with the northern kingdom of Israel. And then there was Micah. Micah was also uh, prophesying at the same time as Isaiah. So you have these four prophets of the 8th century B.C. all prophesying at the same time. And the question is raised, could any of these prophets have any contact with each other? It's been suggested since um, Micah was mainly concerned with it was Samaria and Jerusalem, <clears throat> which is also the concern that Isaiah has in his book of Isaiah, that maybe Isaiah and Micah may have gotten together from time to time and compared notes and uh, uh, talked about uh, what uh, they've been uh, talking. In fact, there, there is a section in Isaiah which is very closely uh, uh, the same as what we find in the section of Micah. And uh, some have wondered, well, who borrowed from whom? Because the wording is so, uh, so uh, uh, closely to each other. Did uh, Isaiah copy from Micah? Did Micah copy from Isaiah? Or, as has been suggested, did both prophets receive the same message from God. We'll look at that in a little more detail when we come to that section of Isaiah because Isaiah has a section that's almost word for word the same as what you find in a section of Micah. But anyway, the, uh, this shows that Isaiah was not the only prophet who was prophesying at this time because these other prophets were also prophesying at this very same time. Um, Let's see. Uh, okay, Isaiah's personal life. Uh, we might say a few things about it. We can, the meaning of his name. Uh, the um, <clears throat> name uh, Isaiah in the Hebrew name is a short form of the Hebrew name Yashaya. Yashaya is a uh, long form of Yashayahu. Uh, and this is how it actually appears in the book of Isaiah and all other uh, writings in the Old Testament. And the, the meaning of that name, it's a compound name, meaning uh, something like Yahweh saves, Yahweh is salvation, uh, salvation belongs to Yahweh. And that 
pretty well summarizes the, uh, the main thought of the whole book of Isaiah, that Isaiah is trying to get his people to see that it is Yahweh, the Lord, who is salvation, and not these other nations that you are turning to to try to be delivered from, uh, from threats from, uh, uh, from these other countries. Uh, and we'll see, uh, especially with the uh, Syrians, Isaiah is uh, trying to get the people not to trust in, in Assyria, because Assyria will not save, but to trust in the Lord, Yahweh. Yahweh is salvation, not these other nations. Uh, it's been, uh, <clears throat> when we look at the uh, book of Isaiah, we'll, <clears throat> we'll see that there, there are a number of uh, sections that uh, are related to, to each other. Uh, first of all, let's, let's, uh, maybe we can quickly summarize, uh, summarize some of the uh, uh, activities of these four kings that are mentioned here. Uh, the, the, uh, as you see here in this first verse, the kings Uzziah, Jothan, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Who were they? What were they like? Real brief. You can read um, the uh, account of the uh, activities of these four kings in, in uh, both the Second Kings and Second Chronicles. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 26 uh, is devoted almost entirely to the reign of Uzziah, U-Z-Z-I-A-H, Uzziah. That's the first king that uh, is mentioned here in the first verse of Isaiah, he, uh, in the reign of Uzziah. What, what was the reign of Uzziah like? Well, he began at an early age of 16 be, uh, to be the king of, of, uh, of Judah. And it says that as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. He was one of the better of these kings. His name spread as far as the border of Egypt because he had become very powerful. God seemed to have blessed him very well and gave him a successful career. He built towers in Jerusalem and in the desert. He dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills in the plain. This is the actual quotation from the Accounting Chronicles. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands. And then there's this one brief statement about him. For he loved the soil. He loved the soil and is able to make good good use of the soil. He had a well-trained army ready to go out. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped until he became powerful. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. And this is one of the messages that we find in Isaiah, is the problem that pride leads people into. Uh, the pride of, of, uh, of Uzziah is mentioned here. And uh, we'll also see the pride of some of these foreign nations uh, as uh, they uh, uh, are causing problems uh, for the people of Judah. Because of his pride, he thought he could go into the temple and offer, uh, uh, offer a sacrifice and offer a burnt offering, uh, <clears throat> which was not permitted uh, for him because he was not a priest. He was not out of the priestly line. And as a result of this, he, uh, he was uh, cursed with leprosy. 
And he had leprosy until he died. And the Counting Chronicles says that he lived in a separate house because of his leprosy. And then the summary of his reign in Chronicles says, The other events of Isaiah's reign from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. We don't have an account that Isaiah left with us of the events of Isaiah's reign. <clears throat> this indicates that Isaiah wrote other things besides what we have in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. This account of the events of Isaiah's, Isaiah's reign um, is uh, something that Isaiah wrote that uh, we don't know anything about. The next king that is mentioned is King Jothan. He reigned 16 years, it says, in Second Chronicles 27. Did what was right, but the people continued their corrupt practices. Um, Jotham built towns in the hills and forts and towers in wooden areas. And the summary of his reign in Chronicles said, Jotham grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord his God. Then there's Ahaz, and that's probably one of the, the uh, main kings that uh, appears in the uh, book of uh, Isaiah. He um, and this is uh, he. He was one of the e- uh, more evil ones. He made cast idols for worshiping the Baals. He sacrificed his son in the fire. Uh, he followed the detestable ways of the nations. And then this quotation from the account in Chronicles says, The Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel. That, that is actually referring to Judah. Here, here again, an example of where the term Israel is used when actually it's referring to Judah. <clears throat> For he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Uh, it, it says that he, be, uh, he became even more unfaithful, offered sacrifices to the gods of Damascus, leading to his downfall. And then there's a, uh, this fourth king that is mentioned here, Hezekiah, and he is one of the better ones. <clears throat> and you can read an account of his activities in Chronicles, Second Chronicles 29 uh, through 32. It says that he did what was right. Purified the, he purified the temple, reestablished temple services, celebrated the Passover that was neglected for a good number of years. And this is how the Chronicles account summarizes his, uh, his reign. This is what Hezekiah did throughout Judah, doing what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And everything that he undertook, in the service of God's temple and in the obedience to the law and the commandments, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly, and so he prospered. So here you see you have kind of a mix of, uh, of kings, some good, some bad, some more worse than, than the others. And this is what Isaiah is facing. And he has uh, quite a bit to say about these kings and their activities and uh, what the... Uh, Society was like under the reign of, of, of these kings. 
Okay, okay, let's see where we're going here with this one. Okay, oh, another thing we might mention is that the, there is an indication that he was married, did have a family. Uh, and in chapter 8, uh, it mentions that uh, he had a wife, and his wife is referred to as the prophetess. Uh, uh, more likely due to the fact that she was married to Isaiah, that she is referred to as the prophetess. And um, they had at least two sons that are specifically mentioned in the book of Isaiah, and we'll look at them uh, when we come come to them. Uh, we don't know anything more about his family life, if he had other children or not, but at least, at least we, ha- we know that he had uh, had these, these two sons. Uh, one of his sons uh, is named uh, named Sha'ar Yashub. Um, okay, uh, it, it's, sorry, it's so so faint in in uh, in that. I'll just see if I can make it more brighter as we go on. But um, in chapter seven and verse three. It mentions this son, who is named Sha'ar Yashub, uh, which is a, a Hebrew expression that means a remnant will return. And uh, this uh, might suggest uh, somewhat of the theme of the whole book of, of Isaiah, uh, because, uh, and uh, if, you, if you're still in chapter 1 and uh, of Isaiah, if you... Uh, Look down at verse 9. It says, that Unless the Lord Almighty had left us some survivors, this is referring to the idea of a remnant. And several times throughout the book of Isaiah, you have reference to the survivors or the remnant that, uh, <clears throat> that God would bring back after their captivity. Uh, so the name of the, his son, Sha'ar Yashub, uh, means that a remnant will return. Now, this can be taken in two different ways, in both a negative way and in a positive way. In a negative way, it would indicate that even though you're a great nation now, there's going to come a time when only a remnant is going to survive. So unless you uh, correct your way of living, and unless you follow after the Lord, the Lord is going to reduce you to just a remnant. Only a remnant is going to survive. Only a remnant will return. But then it also can be taken in the sense, in a positive sense, in the idea that even though you may be destroyed, there will at least be a remnant that will survive. So you can almost take the name Sha'ar Yashub as a summary of the entire book of of Isaiah that. Um, <clears throat> There's going to come a time when you're going to be taken into captivity uh, and, uh, and only a small remnant is going to survive. But in addition to that, even though you're going to be reduced to a small number, there will at least be a small number that will survive. Now, <clears throat> the book of Isaiah is divided into two main sections. Chapters 1 through 39 is a one main section, and uh, this uh, might be uh, uh, 
classified under the idea of the negative aspect of the name of a remnant will survive because the main thought of these chapters from chapters 1 through 39 is the idea that unless you change your ways, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be taken into captivity and only a small part of you are going to survive. But uh, if you look at the end of chapter 39, the beginning in chapter 40, you can see a, a clear change of emphasis. Chapter 40 begins with, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Whereas in the first part of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah was speaking uh, condemnation to the nation of Judah. That unless they change their ways, they're going to be destroyed. But now, beginning chapter 40, there seems to be a change of emphasis to even though you are going to be destroyed and taken to captivity, <clears throat> you, you will survive. And uh, your hard service has been completed, chapter uh, 40, verse 2 says, that uh, her sins have been paid for that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So these are the two main sections of Isaiah. The first of the 39 chapters, the main emphasis seems to be on warnings, uh, condemnation, call to repentance. And uh, the last part of the book, beginning chapter 30 to the end of the, end of the book, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 40 through 66, are the, uh, the emphasis is more on the idea of God is going to deliver you, that there will be a remnant that will sur- survive. And it's more of a, a message of hope and comfort uh, for, for the people. And, of course, it's in this section that we have that, uh, that famous uh, passage in uh, chapter 53 about the suffering servant. And we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at that chapter and seeing what that chapter has to say about the, the suffering servant. Um, so those are the 66 chapters of the book of Isaiah divided in two main sections, chapters 1 through 39, and then chapters 40 through 66. By the way, does that number 66 remind you of anything? There are 66 books in the whole Bible. Right, Exactly. Does the number 39 indicate anything? Chapters 1 through 39. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. Do the remaining 27 chapters remind you of anything? 27 books in the New Testament. So this is one way that you might uh, help you remember the, um, the, the uh, main thrust of the book of Isaiah that in the first 39 chapters is corresponds to the Old Testament with the uh, emphasis upon God's uh, trying to get the people to repent and uh, come back to the right ways. And then the last, uh, the last chapters uh, of Isaiah, the uh, 27 chapters, uh, where there's more of the emphasis upon God's salvation and God's deliverance. <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, the uh, promise of, uh, of, of a new heaven and a new earth that is uh, described here in these final chapters of Isaiah. So just as there are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, there's 66 books in the whole Bible, 
just as there are 39 chapters in the first part of Isaiah, the 39 chapters of the Old Testament, and has 27 chapters in the last part of Isaiah, 27 chapters in the New Testament. <clears throat> yes. Yes. They always seem to have someone who's trying to get the people to to return to to their Lord. And, yes. and the other question is, how do they make their living? Does it <laughs> seem like they mm. always are mm. walking about, yeah. or maybe not walking, but staying in one place, mm. um, prophesying? They spend all their time doing this. Yes, we don't have any real strong indications of how they were able to to make their living and to survive. So on. it could be a, could be a, a, a lot of handouts from the people. Um, <clears throat> uh, don't know of. Uh, any any uh, indication of uh, what kind of property they may have had or what kind of houses they lived in. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, they were able to survive and, and uh, continue on in their work and their activities. Okay, yes. Uh, we do have some indications of uh, where... Uh, people would take them in into their their houses and uh, and uh, provide for them. So, so. Mhm. Yeah. Yes, Sue. So. Okay. Yes, Amos. That's right. Amos was a farmer, as far as we can tell, from what it says. Part of Jeremiah's prophecy was, I mean, in his book, part of what he was about was going somewhere else in the country about some land that he was inheriting. Okay, yeah, he, right. Yes, there is an indication that he had a piece of property that uh, that would survive. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, these two main divisions of uh, of uh, Isaiah then, um, uh, with the uh, uh, division appearing at the end of chapter thirty nine, beginning chapter forty. Uh, does this suggest that there may have been two different writers in the book of Isaiah? Many modern uh, uh, scholars suggest that. Uh, that uh, the last half of Isaiah was not written by the same man who wrote the first half of the book. That there were two writers in the book of Isaiah that are referred to as uh, First Isaiah or Second Isaiah or Deutero Isaiah is sometimes referred to. 
because of the change in subject matter and the change of emphasis between these two parts of Isaiah, uh, that it suggested some scholars that there were two different writers in the book of Isaiah. So we're going to con- consider the idea of, of the, it, there being different writers in Isaiah besides the, uh, besides the Isaiah, the one-man Isaiah. And so we're going to spend next week a little time looking at the evidence for the unity of Isaiah. Uh, that uh, this book was written by a man named Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he was the author and the writer of the entire book. And that the uh, uh, contemporary idea of there being many authors in addition to the uh, writer uh, Isaiah himself, that there are other writers in addition to the writers, uh, <clears throat> in addition to uh, Isaiah himself, that uh, they suggest that there were other writers who also contributed to the book of Isaiah. But here's one quotation from one uh, a good study of the book of Isaiah that says the wondrous unity which underlies the prophecy is one of the strongest arguments to show that there is purpose to the prophecy and that the work is best understood when regarded as a whole. And that's what we're going to consider next week as we look in a little more detail at the unity of the book book of Isaiah. Well, <clears throat> Here are uh, some features of the book, as we mentioned, about there being two main sections of the book. <clears throat> and uh, this is the quotation that I just read to you about the unity of Isaiah. Here are some suggested topics that, uh, that we will consider in, in the course of our study. As I mentioned, the unity of Isaiah, we're going to look, look at that for a little bit. And then uh, there's a uh, messianic prophecy that we're familiar with that we're going to look at as a, a prophecy about his virgin birth. We're going to consider that in, in a little detail. And uh, also references to the death and resurrection uh, of the Messiah, as mentioned. And there are these chapters on the Lord's servant and the suffering servant, especially the suffering servant section that uh, is... Uh, very familiar to all of us. Uh, that's in chapter 53. Um, and then uh, in the course of our study, we're going to look at the various predictions of future events and how they were fulfilled, such as the Assyrian conquest of Israel, the Babylonian exile, the restoration by the Persian king Cyrus, uh, the new Jerusalem and the new heavens and new earth, and also uh, we'll uh, be uh, considering some of the uh, quotations um, from the book of Isaiah that we find in the New Testament and allusions to the book of Isaiah in the New Testament. So that in brief is somewhat of a, an overview of the study that we're going to be making uh, in this uh, book of Isaiah. Um, and I hope that in the course of our study we'll be able to come to appreciate uh, more <clears throat> what Isaiah has to say and how he has said. I'm going to try to bring out the various ways in which Isaiah uses language to bring out the intent of his message, especially his his poetic uh, techniques that he uses to uh, express the, these ideas. Uh, he is often referred to as one of the more poetic prophets of the uh, 
of the Bible. Uh, he, he uses a, a good number of poetic techniques uh, that uh, are very effective in bringing out, out his message. So uh, that, uh, in brief, uh, is uh, somewhat of an overview of uh, what our study is going to be. And uh, so we'll look forward to having you in, in, uh, in the course of this study. And uh, again, uh, we hope that uh, this will be profitable to you. And as we try to bring out the relevance of the message of Isaiah for our, our world today. Okay, uh, we're just about time to need to break up and get ready for our worship. Sir, any final comments or questions or observations from anyone before we close? Yes. The, the first part, uh, the main uh, emphasis would be warnings of uh, warnings of destruction and calls to repentance, uh, urging them to repent. And the second part would be the message of salvation, the message of deliverance. Okay, anything further from anyone? Well, thank you for being here. Look forward to uh, uh, being uh, together again in the course of our study of Isaiah. So that'll be all for today.